In a short conversation that Jesus had with a scribe, he revealed one of the greatest keys to understanding the kingdom of God that can be found in Scripture. Also, Paul told us what the kingdom of God is in two different passages by telling us what it's not. This is going to be an interesting episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. On this episode, we're going to pull back the veil just a little further on this awesome and incredible revelation of what it is to be heirs of the kingdom and children of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is what the body of Christ should be all about, not denominationalism. Jesus didn't come to set up another religion. Jesus came to establish a kingdom right here, right now, in this present world. It's an invisible kingdom. Most people are oblivious to it, but those who have been born again enter into this spiritual kingdom that transcends our ability to describe in human language. But let's attempt to do so. First, let's go to Mark chapter 12 a wonderful conversation that Jesus had with a scribe. And this scribe overheard Jesus talking with the Sadducees and responding to them in their doubtfulness concerning the resurrection. And listen to how the whole passage begins. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, He asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Now, this is leading up to a phenomenal revelation about the kingdom of God. But what impresses me first about this is that the scribe listened in to the conversation between Jesus and these skeptical Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection, and he reasoned with them. And The scribe was impressed by the way Jesus reasoned with them. And that makes me remember that scripture in Isaiah chapter 1, where God Almighty said, come and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isn't it an amazing thing that the creator of the universe would condescend to discuss mysteries and truths with us and reason with us until we adopt his mindset. Wow, that just, that triggers a lot of worship in my heart. All right, let's go on. The scribe said, what's the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered, the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel. In other words, listen to God as he reasons. The first commandment of all is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no commandment greater than these. It's a strange thing that almost every church has the Ten Commandments displayed on their walls somewhere, and yet very seldom do I see the two superior commandments displayed. That's why our ministry years ago developed a print, a framed print, with the two commandments that Jesus said were superior. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. Now listen, listen, listen closely. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God and no other but he, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors as oneself is more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And you could include a lot under that heading, all the religious rituals and ceremonies and and the things that sometimes we think are so important in the natural with regard to religion. And when Jesus saw, listen closely now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Wow. Not far from the kingdom of God. Well, why was he still unable to enter? Because the experience of being born again was not yet available. And no one can be translated into the kingdom of God to occupy that supernatural position of inheritance, being an heir of the kingdom, inheriting everything the kingdom is, until we are washed in the blood, until we are born again, the Spirit of God enters into us, and then we are delivered from the power of darkness. And the Bible says we are translated immediately removed from one kingdom to the other, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But this man, this scribe, was not far from that. He was getting as close as you can possibly get without actually stepping through the portal, so to speak, and going into that realm. Why? Because he already comprehended the overriding principle that is the dominant belief and the dominant characteristic of the kingdom of God. And that is the principle of love. Loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your emotions, with every fiber of your being. You love him with intensity and you love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, others become just as important to you as you are to yourself. He was close to the kingdom because he recognized that principle as being superior to all other religious concepts, ideas, rituals, ceremonies, and traditions. That love is the overriding principle. I think if he got close to the kingdom by understanding that, you and I would prosper in the kingdom by understanding that. We get fierce with each other over little picayunish doctrines and ideas and concepts when love is the superior thing. I can have a difference of theological opinion with many people. In fact, some of my dear friends believe completely different than I do concerning the timing of the coming of the Lord or other principles of theology that are important. They are important, but 
they do not determine salvation. And I can override our difference of opinion and still feel this enormous love from God toward them and they in like manner toward me. Isn't that what the kingdom is all about? It's not uniformity, it's unity. You can have unity even if you don't have uniformity in every single area of belief. Now, there are essentials that we have to agree on, but we can still love those who don't embrace the essentials, like Jesus' death on the cross being for the sins of humanity, his resurrection three days later, the fact that he's the only way to heaven. These are essential concepts out of Scripture but we can still love those that are miles and miles away from correct theology. Even those that oppose us. If Jesus could love his enemies, he did tell us to do the same. Love your enemies. Agape your enemies. Do good to those who do evil to you. Bless those who curse you. See, that's a kingdom principle that love from God, of God, in God, because of God, as an example of his, the indwelling of God, is a dominant proof that you're truly in the kingdom. Now, let me go to Romans chapter 14, verse 17. I'm, I'm going to give you two scriptures that Paul gave us in describing the kingdom of God by telling us what it is not, which is kind of a reverse definition. You define something by saying what it does not have as an attribute. Listen to this, Romans 14, 17, he said, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now let's break that down. Why would he even say something like that? Because Jewish people were very oriented to the Torah and to the 613 commandments of the Torah, and many of those dealt with dietary laws. And they were very fierce about that to the point where they would not even eat with Gentiles, which I, I don't think God wanted them to go that far because they, they were supposed to be a light in the world. Israel well, the national symbol of Israel was the menorah lamp, according to Zechariah's prophecies. In other words, enlightening the world with the revelation of God. Well, how can you enlighten people if you refuse to eat with them, right? That's why Jesus ate with sinners and, and prostitutes and drunks. He did not eat with them to joke around with them on their level. Some people take it too far. They want to go to secular parties and party it up with those because they're trying to be Christians in that particular sin. But Jesus ate with those that were in the depths of sin to change them, to lovingly reach out to them, and to bring transformation to them. There's a big difference, huge difference. But the kingdom of God is not about all these religious rules. Now, I've got to be careful saying this because some things are sacred and important. For instance, uh, baptism is an ordinance of the church. Communion is an ordinance of the church. Those are important, and, uh, and we should abide by those principles. But there's something more important. The kingdom of God is not about whether or not you keep the dietary laws and don't eat pork anymore. I very, very rarely eat pork and it's because I just, uh, I know it's, it's a contaminated meat 
for the most part, uh, and I don't want to put it in my body. And that's one of the main reasons I believe God forbade the Jews from eating pork, not because he just wanted some stiff religious rule they had to go by, but because he wanted to preserve their health. He said, if you obey my statutes, I will bring none of the diseases on you that came upon Egypt. And of course, a, a pig has no sweat glands, and so all the toxins that it builds up in its system all its life just soak into the meat. It's one of the most toxic meats you can eat. But the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. I don't care if somebody eats bacon for breakfast every morning, and I don't care if their favorite meal is, is uh, uh, what, uh, ham, sandwiches. I really don't care. What I care about is if they have the king residing within their heart, enthroned within them to such degree that you can see love shining from their eyes, and you know they're submitted to God, and you know that they care about other people. That's way up here, and a little religious rule is way down here. And we get hung up on the rules about mode of baptism, or we get hung up about the mode of the way people take communion, or we, we get hung up on little religious ideas like modes of dress, modes of physical appearance, when the kingdom principle of love is way above that, infinitely higher than some of the rules that we exalt to a position of prominence. And again, there's a, a balance. I'm not going into a deep theological discussion of some of these rules. But uh, I... I do think we get fierce about things we don't need to get fierce about. I personally, and I know I may get flack on this, you may put on the brakes, but I don't care if somebody gets a tattoo. I don't want to get a tattoo. And you can point me back to the Old Testament where it said that the children of Israel should not put tattoos on their body. But the same chapter, it said that a man should not cut the corner of his beard. So if you shave, but you are fiercely against getting tattoos, the same law that you are upholding is a law, and I'm talking about the law in entirety, the Torah, that would condemn you. So these little rules aren't as important as this overriding principle. I know um, some people get very fierce about the mode of dress, that uh, a woman takes, whether or not a woman wears a pantsuit as opposed to a dress. That's a really important rule for some people. But I have met women that would never wear anything but a dress because of religious principle that had corrupt hearts. And I've met women that normally dressed in pantsuits that had such a depth of God in their lives which is most important. Isn't that what Paul is saying? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. it. It's not some of these minor things, these minor issues, but it's righteousness in the Holy Spirit. That's not talking about humanly attained righteousness. That's talking about the gift of righteousness, supernatural endowment of righteousness. The Bible said God made Jesus to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Paul said, if I be found, let me be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Wow, that's righteousness in the Holy Spirit. 
That's righteousness. You can't attain any other way. It's a righteousness that makes you equally accepted in the presence of the Father. Heaven looks on you with just as much favor as the firstborn son of God because you have obtained his favor, his righteousness, as your inheritance. Praise God. And peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's not humanly attained peace. That's not humanly manufactured happiness. That's peace that passes understanding. Supernatural peace that comes from God. It's the peace of God. That's supernatural joy. That's not just some kind of happiness we muster up within ourselves. That's joy in the Holy Spirit. That's uh, the result of that scripture, therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation, the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Wow. If you can flow in those things, if you can flow in the joy of God, you'll conquer depression and discouragement. If you can flow in the peace of God, you'll conquer anxiety and despair. If you can flow in the love of God, you'll conquer prejudice and hatred, hostility, and a a sense of holding a grudge against a fellow human being. All these negatives will be washed out of your life as you go forward kingdom living. Isn't that awesome? Then 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul once again tells us what the kingdom of God is by telling us what it's not. He says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And he was talking about those who had withstood his position as an apostle, a representative of the Lord on that level. And he said, when I come, in other words, I'll I'll meet with those individuals and we'll see who really has the power of God in his life. I'm, of course, paraphrasing to quite a great degree. Because he said, it's not about all this rambling and and arguments and words about asserting ourselves and asserting our opinions. It's about who really walks in the power of God. And that's an indication that somebody walks with God if they walk in the dunamis, the power of God that can even produce the miraculous. I was very grieved this week because I saw a podcast by a former New Ager where she's a cessationist and she doesn't believe that miracles can happen through the laying on of hands and things like that. And uh, it just grieved me because having come out of one area of deception, the enemy has pushed her over into another area of deception. There is a power of God that still works the miraculous. I've seen it. I've seen deaf people hear again. I've seen blind people see again. One lady was blind for 80 years. This is verifiable, documentable, or it was documented. She was blind for 80 years. Her father pulled her dress over her head when it was on fire. She got too close to the fireplace. It seared one side of her face, permanently blinded one eye, God opened that eye, gave her 20-20 vision in that eye, and when she died, she had better vision in the eye that was blind for eight decades than the eye that she'd used all of her life up to that point. Don't tell me God doesn't heal anymore. The kingdom of God is not just about theology. We need teaching. We need biblical training. That's an important role. Jesus was even called the teacher, the rabbi, the teacher. But, uh, Ultimately, the proof of God's stamp of approval on a life or a ministry 
sometimes is the manifestation of the miraculous. Not all the intellectual uh, wranglings that go on from one theologian to another, but it's whether or not you walk in the power of God. Well, we've covered some good territory about kingdom living and kingdom character, and there's a lot more I want to tell. I just know you ought to look up every time the word kingdom appears in the Bible and do a study yourself, and you'll find out this is a rich and deep subject. Also, listen, I really appreciate you being with me during this study, and I'd love for you to jump over to my other podcast when it goes out every Tuesday, and that is Revealing the True Light. I cover comparative religion subjects and we get in some good territory where we discuss differences between Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Jainism, Judaism, Shinto, Taoism, and all of those compared to Christianity. It's an interesting journey. So be sure to look up Revealing the True Light podcast. I want to see you there. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.